Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Okay. Bhikkhu Vaga. So, Bhikkhu refers to monk or nun, bikini, uh, or monastic. So, you may see this and think, well, I'm not a monk or a monastic. What, what do I have in common? What, what connects me? a lay person, a householder to a monastic Buddhist? Well, a lot. Both are we're humans. Uh, as humans, we're both endowed with six sense base. And as humans, we contend with the five aggregates. And we contend with the worldly conditions of gain and loss, honor and dishonor, praise and blame, pleasure and pain. We also see the connection between craving and suffering. So both monks and lay people really have a lot in common. And I think you'll see that as we go through the sutta, that what connects us and unites us as part of the wider Sangha is the practice of the Eightfold Path. And the practice of the Eightfold Path is a practice of wise restraint. So, Buddha's words. Good is restraint over the eye. Good is restraint over the ears. Good is restraint over the nose. Good is restraint over the tongue. Good is restraint in the body. Good is restraint in speech. Good is restraint in thought. Restraint is always good. The disciple well restrained is free of all suffering. The Dhamma practitioner in control of the sixth sense base delights in developing the Dhamma. They are established in jhana, free of worldly entanglements, content. This one is called wise indeed. The disciple restrained in speech, moderate and unassuming, explains the Dhamma with wisdom and understanding. Their words are always skillful. The disciple well-established in the Dhamma, who delights in the Dhamma, well-concentrated, who hears the authentic Dhamma will not lose their way. John's words. The Buddha taught a Dhamma that self-regulates. This means that by following the heartwood of the Dhamma, the Eightfold Path, the disciple will not be distracted towards false dharmas. Buddha's words. 
The disciple is free of bitterness for what others receive. Those who despise the gains of others will never develop jhana. The disciple, content with what they have received, even very little, pure in livelihood and persistent in their right effort, is praised by wise beings. Those free of clinging to sensual attainments, free of regret over what is not, they are truly known as disciple. John's words. As shown in the Paticca Samapada Sutta, the primary sutta on dependent origination, the essence of mindfulness is to support wise restraint at the point of contact, with phenomena arising and passing away, so as to recognize and abandon clinging to ignorant views that always manifest as craving. Buddha's words. The disciple, virtuous, well-concentrated, devoted to the Dhamma, will attain the peace of Nibbana and the pure joy of the cessation of all conditioned things. An empty boat sails effortlessly, empty of greed and aversion, empty of ignorance. This disciple will gain final release from all views, ignorant of formidable truths. John's words. Despite the prevalence in modern Buddhism, the Buddha's Dhamma does not encourage a goal of achieving establishment in the imaginary realm of nothingness or emptiness. The Buddha used the word shunyata, emotions, to refer to the simple and profound purpose of his Dhamma, to empty oneself of ignorance. Buddha's words, uproot the five lower fetters, abandon the five higher fetters, conquer the five bonds, cultivate the five pure qualities. The disciple crosses to the far shore. John's words, the five lower fetters to be uprooted are delusion, doubt, belief in rites and rituals, lust and ill will. The five higher fetters to be abandoned are craving for imaginary and speculative self-establishment in non-physical realms, conceit, restlessness, and ongoing ignorance of Four Noble Truths. The five bonds to be conquered are greed, aversion, delusion, ignorant views, and continued self-identification with impermanent and fabricated objects, events, views, and ideas. So how do we do that? What, what, what's the method that we have to do that? That's shared by both monastics and lay people. Stayfold path, a path of practice that brings release. Buddha's words. Establish jhana. Do not be mindless. Do not be distracted by sensual pleasures. Mindless, do not swallow a red-hot iron ball, lest you cry out, There is no jhana for those who lack insight. There is no insight for those lacking concentration. Those established in jhana develop insight. They are close to nibbana indeed. The disciple who has established seclusion and calm, who understands the dhamma with true insight is delighted, a delight that transcends all ordinary delights. 
The disciple who has gained insight into the arising and passing away of the five clinging aggregates is full of joy. This one knows the death of ignorance. Restraint at the sixth sense base, content, pure, and helpful in the Sangha, this is the foundation of a life well integrated with the heartwood. Heartwood of the Dhamma is the Eightfold Path. The disciple associates with noble friends. They are enthused with pure life. They are cordial and refined with others. Joyful in the Dhamma, they will end ignorance. As the jasmine creeper sheds withered flowers, the disciple sheds greed and aversion. The disciple restrained in thought, word, and deed, composed, disentangled from the world, is truly a sage at peace. The disciple must examine and censure themselves. Well restrained, this one lives in happiness. John's words. The Eightfold Path is taught to provide a benchmark for evaluating individual development of the Dhamma. The four levels of meditative absorption of jhana are taught by the Buddha to provide an impersonal and dispassionate measuring stick for evaluating increasing concentration. Buddha's words. One is one's own protector, one's own refuge. The disciple controls themselves as horsemen control their steed. Full of joy and conviction in the Dhamma, the disciple attains the peace of cessation of all conditioned things. The disciple who devotes themselves to the Dhamma throughout their life illuminates the world like a full moon on a clear night. It's the Sutta. Let's go around the room. Philippe, how you going, mate? Yeah, I'm 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 awesome, man. Yeah, thanks for the um thanks for the Dharma and um um what I understand what I took from that was that the Buddha's version of Shunyata, I mean, the Tibetans, they just get lost in that. And, and, and it's so confusing. There's so much emphasis on emptiness. And, and, and what I heard then was, you know, um, you know, it's empty of ignorance is of, of the four truths. It's so simple. And, you know, like this, it was what I did last week. It was an amazing, it was five days. It wasn't residential. You just go from nine to five. And it was with Alan Wallace. Like he's, you know, like he's very educated. He's a very big figure in um, Vajrayana and, and Tantra. And but like um this the fourth and fifth day, my head was about to explode. Like I had to concentrate that hard to to hear what was the message is convoluted so much, you know. And like just what I heard then was just it's repetition. Like the simplicity of the early Buddhist texts, it's just the same three marks of existence, dependent origination, four noble truths, clinging equals suffering. <laughs> it's just so simple. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I need because I get, you know, like I'm in training to be an academic and, and my world's involved with ego grasping to information. <laughs> and I get lost in that too. And, and so the... The mind training and, and and helps me strip that back and come back to the simplicity. If I'm in my breath, 
I'm in, in truly in the moment. I, I found it hard to meditation just now. My head's busy. I'm planning a retreat. Like I do 12 step and, and, and I'm planning a retreat for, you know, in a couple of months for our fellowship. And, you know, the, the, my little, little ego is just grabbed onto it, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm planning and I'm, and I'm trying to come back. Okay. Forward. Cause I go forward thinking, come back, past thinking, come back. And, you know, just trying to come back to the moment all the time. And, and it's, it's, you think you're making gains along the path and then some catalyst will come along and my mind feels uncontained again. And, and and I find that with women too, when I get exposed to women, like uh, overexcitability and, and, and I just lose, <laughs> lose my shit completely. <laughs> it's funny. It's the lessons in, in the, in the path, you know, navigating, drifting away, coming back. Uh, and yeah. It's such a profound experience. Um, the, the text, you know, and I'm really grateful and and uh, feel blessed and graced to, to found, you know, found John. I don't know how I found him, but like, like when I have time, when I have the days off, I'll jump in. The Saturday, the Saturday night class here is a bit late for me, but I can do the Wednesday one. So what's that, Tuesday night there for you? Tuesday night, yes, Wednesday morning here. Yeah, anyway, that's what's going on for me. Thanks for the teaching. It was awesome. I really got a lot out of it. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. Yeah, you know, could you turn it up the line a little bit? Sure. You, can. you know, it's that. Did you find that you were able to come back to return your attention to the breath and the body when you found that you were getting distracted by thoughts, by plans, by the agendas, by all of the 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 fullness that that you experienced? Were you able to, to return your attention back to the sensation of breathing in the body and, and return, reunite your mind and your body? Yeah, I can, I can, I can. But I find that when I've got a lot going on, that space, like when I'm really free from, you know, the grasping and, and um, the space between the thoughts is much longer. You know, and I really find I can feel that I'm getting into the calmness and the the concentration. You know, the focal, the focus on the breath and the repetition of that and the flow, the flow of the in and out. Like I'm in there when I haven't got a lot going on externally. I'm present for that, like uh, uh, present in that true moment. You know, yeah. but yeah, I could bring myself back, but bang, I go off again sure. <laughs> really quick. Yeah, well, it it sounds like you know you you are practicing right meditation you're practicing john and yeah that's exactly the path of practice that the buddha taught so thank you for that thank you for sharing that thanks thanks for having me yeah brian hi matt uh appreciate the teaching it was really great to dip our toes back into the dhammapada again um I do appreciate the the metaphor and the the visuals that they that's provided in the the writing. Um, as Philippe was talking, I was just thinking about my own experience, and it just feels like I'm this buoy in the ocean. I keep getting hit by a wave. I bounce back. I bounce back, and it's just that's the that's our conditioned thinking, right? Like until we make sufficient enough effort and and on our cushion to develop the the concentration from jhana like that that's just the practice just recognizing the 
the views and the held views and that that's just that's 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 how this practice works um and i thought you know in the beginning i was i was fighting that um lately i've just i've started noticing it off my cushion as well which is relatively new for me where i can see the the ebb and the flow of the the conditioned thinking and then it's back to concentration and right it's just it's fascinating for me to watch that it is. I, how have you found, um, I would say, when you describe that buoy in the ocean and that, that swelling and receding of, of conditioned thinking and external distractions, what's, where is the restraint for you? How do you practice restraint? The, the restraint for me is implicitly tied to the concentration. And when I'm concentrated, the, the waves are flat. And when you when you release the concentration or you're, you're no longer ardent or alert, you're back out in the ocean again. Um, and so like 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 Philippe, I think like like many of us, it's some some moments and days are better than others and that's that's just part of having a human life um again i at this point it's it's the the ride's just fun right i don't mind going up and down anymore or get upset when i'm up or down or vice versa there's just no point in that so it's it's just dhamma practice <laughs> thanks brian jeff how are you sir Well, thank you. Really appreciate the teaching. It was it was real interesting to have a compare and contrast between the the verbiage of the two uh, the two writings. Um, I have maybe a question: Is it is it possible to exercise too much restraint? Yeah, I mean, I, I think then it wouldn't be restraint anymore. It would be aversion. Possibly, yeah. Right, and you know, the wisdom to know the difference. Um, it could be it could be desire as well, desire to have things a certain way. You know, that desire and aversion, that relationship, that uh, continuum. You would say, you know. Well said. There's a, a word called chanda, which means skillful desire. So that, that skillful desire is the, the desire to awaken through the eightfold path. So that's where that's where the difference between um, a conceptual restraint, such as if I deny myself something, which is what the Buddha practiced earlier, and that's that is really a um, an ascetic way of living. So wise restraint is something that's engaged with joyfulness because we know what it brings us. It brings me awakening. It brings me calm. It brings me a disentangled way of living in the world rather than grasping after some type of accomplishment that I might get by restraint. So I, I, we practice wise restraint to restrain eye-making in this moment maintain a calm and peaceful mind. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Just to echo John there, I think that 
too far, then you you get asceticism. Yeah. You know? um, and that, as the Buddha found out, doesn't lead to the goal. Yeah, we can't acquire the Dhamma as an acquisition might be. We can only live within that framework. So we're, we're not becoming something other than a true human being or an awakened, a realistic human being, someone who understands something. So I can never be more than a six-property person in this human life. So what am I grasping after? I'm not grasping after anything except understanding. So it's not awakening or the Dhamma is not something we can put on our, our mantle and show people. You know, but we can we can be an example as we all are within, within this Sangha. This is just what we're doing. It's nothing um, extraordinary, is it? It's the most ordinary thing in the world is to practice the Dhamma and to awaken. Just becoming human beings. So we're not grasping after anything. Yeah, process versus possession. Yeah, and again, I think you could say it's an eightfold process, just to use that word. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Jane. Hello. Thank you for the teaching. I've enjoyed the um, comments, too. Um, I've always, I had always spent a lot of time thinking about what I'm going to do before I do it. Just running it through all kinds of filters and everything else. And now I find that I'm trusting myself that my actions are within the Eightfold Path, that I'm being guided by the Eightfold Path now. So I'm not pre-thinking everything and I'm just acting. And it's not that I don't slip up sometimes, you know, and find myself, but it, it's given me a lot of freedom not to have to pre-think everything, just to, just to trust that, the, you know, the path is, I'm on the path. So I appreciate that a lot. Jane, you brought a big smile to my face. Yeah. <laughs> Great, I'm, thank you. Describing the Buddhist, the Buddha would call that inner poise. Thank you for sharing that. You, you trust yourself. Thank you, John. It's such a huge change in thinking for us human beings. Thank you, Jane. Kevin. Dhamma hey, Matt. Kevin. Thanks for the teaching. Um, really enjoyed everybody's comments. Um, I agree. This The richness of the metaphors, uh, what Brian was saying and what Philippe were saying, you know, um, and when we notice the lapping of the waves or the heavy seas or the, the, the calm seas, we do our best to stay in the boat as an empty boat travels, travels far and free, like the Buddha said. So the, the, what you'd said, we share with monastics a little bit, you know, even in the language, the word disciple, you know, that implies a discipline and, and the eightfold path is one of gentle discipline. And we have to, to do that ourselves you know we, we protect ourselves at the sense gates as brian was sort of saying and, and when we catch ourselves in a trough of a wave as to, to use that metaphor as we're going with you know we, we come back to our breath we do our best to stay concentrated and leave the world <laughs> as as crazy as it is for the moment at least as, and try and regain our minds and that's that's the path of uh 
of a lifetime. So thanks, Matt. Really appreciate everybody's comments. Thanks, Kev. Um, I was, I was actually, after the whole World Cup thing, I was thinking of uh, soccer as a, as a metaphor for um, the wise and the unwise disciple. This is going to be great. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the uninstructed um, plays the game. <clears throat> In what we in Holland call panic football, panic soccer. Something comes your way, your only reaction is either grab onto it and try and make a blind run to the goal, and of course end up flat your face, or whale the ball back over the other side as far away from Push the goal away. as possible. Push it away. You know, can't happen. And with the result that, you know, someone, the other team picks it back up and you're back in the same position. While you have, you know, the, the, the wise disciple, the one who truly understands the game and is fully concentrated. You see a guy named Messi get a pass, traps the ball for a microsecond. Wise restraint and passes it on to somebody gets it. He didn't even look where it was going. He just he had such poise, such poise, such insight, um, and such a lack of um, wasn't wearing it. Any, any colored glasses. You yeah. know, he had full view of everything. Like uh, the wise disciple sees life exactly for what it is. No, there's no color in there. Yeah. That's what I have. John, that was great. Um, again, I don't know, for some reason, I started thinking of uh, in, in basketball, someone who would be like that that passes it all. Mm -hmm. Dennis Rodman. Yep. Behind the back. Pitchfuck, but, right? Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Somebody who's so, so fully concentrated, you know, through the whole game, that they can do that. Yeah. And he's one hell of a golfer, too. <laughs> Dennis Rodman. Uh, Matt, thank you for really an excellent class, but the introduction was. Uh, the best part, I would say, making the connection that we're we're living a monastic life uh, in a very secular way. The Dhamma is the same for us, and that's how the Buddha taught. He didn't teach anything special for monks and nuns and lay people that might come. It was always the same Dhamma, uh, nothing special, you know, nothing extraordinary that only special human beings could achieve. It was for everyone. Uh, it really is the the truly egalitarian teaching for all time. Uh, for those that uh, that can come in contact with it and understand it, this uh, this chapter in the Dhammapada is one of the longest chapters, and it happens to be the penultimate, and it is describing Dhamma practice perfectly. 
this is what we look for, this is what we hope to achieve, um, this is what we notice. Uh, and we do it, as you taught it, with, with great gentleness and care for ourselves. And twice that word, inner voice, came up. Mm. Because the wise Dharma practitioner notices that, that yes, I have something. Um, and it might take us a few years to develop it, to develop it, but constant Dharma practice gets us to that point where we, as James said, we just trust ourselves. Yeah. And that is the greatest liberation. It was a thing that liberated me from all the stuff that I didn't want to be a part of that I created. And once I could recognize that, that this is the moment for my life, not, not yesterday, not what I might get tomorrow, but this is the most important moment for John Haspel. And that changed everything. You know? and there's no baggage in this moment. We're here, present. There, there's nothing for us to carry around. We're just here. We taught that beautifully well. Thank you. Thank you, John. Amen. The first thing I'll say is that um, I'm seeing the benefits of being back in Sangha and um, specifically in um, you know, feeling my mind is more focused. Yeah. Um, and that's good. And you know, I, I want to, I'll, I'll talk around. Um, the biggest challenge in my life at the moment is parenting related. <laughs> so I'm finding uh, parenting really hard and I can see that the calm and concentration that I'm achieving or whatever the word is, certainly an achievement, but um, is helping me, you know, to like be less reactive, to be kinder, um, to be more understanding. Um, but the one thing I'm struggling with and I really actually kind of like some, some perspective of how to view this within the Dhamma is resentment. <laughs> I, you know, like parenting is a challenge and, I, you know, I, no, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway because I started saying it. Like I, I have a particularly challenging kid <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm having trouble letting go of the resentment around the impact on me. I, I don't know. Yeah. So very like, here, you know, uh, that the wise disciple is is not resentful of, of other other gain, you know. And, and that's basically what you're up against. You see what your daughter is getting is getting. And that you have to somehow give something up for that. So the, the counter to resentment is forgiveness. And forgiveness, true forgiveness, is, is letting go of the original judgment that brought up the resentment. And so a resentment is taking something personal, right? It has to be. Mm -hmm. And and the resolution is not wanting the person to be any different than they are at that moment. And the reasonableness of that is because they can't be, right? In this moment, your, your daughter is acting in a way that you wish would be different. But it's all that she's capable of. And so letting go of the judgment that she should be different allows you to just be present and be the mother that you are, that you want to be, without the resentment, without thinking that something needs to be different. Because it can't, right? It's just it's this radical acceptance that's a beautiful. 
But the hard thing is, especially as a parent, and I'm just talking, you know, I'm speculating. Um, it's a hard thing to not want your, to not take your daughter's behavior in any way, good, bad, or indifferent, personally, isn't it? And when you can do that, you've liberated yourself from that, from that, the cause of the resentment. Does that make sense? And so the, the yeah. wise restraint would be in not getting into the judgment that anybody, including yeah. the should be. Yeah, it, it, it all does make sense. I'm just trying to see like where I get. I'm still kind of hooked because mm -hmm. I can mostly hear it. I'm like, yeah, I get that. And then there's part of me that's going like, no, 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 no. But, but it's but it's something like it's something else too, mm -hmm. which yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's the yeah. I see that around me all the time, um, and in my household, it's it's a it's a recipe for, for instant strength. Uh, and but it it comes from and it, it, it as as uh, John said it comes from wanting something or somebody to be different than they are at yeah. this moment. And and uh, yeah, and I do see that like get it intellectually. There are moments where I can really embrace that. And yeah, and the Buddha taught us that the first noble truth is dukkha occurred. So what we understand dukkha. And I would say that parenting is probably one of the biggest aspects of that first noble truth. There will be dukkha as a parent, right? So this this struggle, even when you're not, even when you're in the resentment, the resolution is to be gentle first with yourself, not wanting your resentment to be different, because that's where you start clinging to it. So accepting that, yeah, in this moment I want my daughter to be different. She can't. I'm, I'm, Thank I'm, you for bringing it up. I'm on the path. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's the essence of the Dhamma, is what you're talking about. It, it, the Dhamma isn't about something conceptual. The Dhamma is practice and uh, human involvement, human entanglement. And I would say nothing could be more uh, dukkha provoking, right? Than a parent and a child. Yeah, because in, in essence, family is personal. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, is, it is personal. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Out of that. I mean, she came out of your body. So, well, not exactly. It's about she's adopted, but yeah, still. Well, right. also, okay, <laughs> she's adopted. I was there. The fourth foundation of mindfulness, another way to characterize it is to be at peace with a less than peaceful mind state. So, when you're agitated, yeah, I'm agitated. Yeah. Don't, don't want yourself to. And be then, and then exercising wise restraints in my speech. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That's not yeah. yeah. And, and towards yourself. Start. Yeah. Towards yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm a, yeah. I'm a bad mother. Right. That's yeah. that's the thing that, that I think is it's huge. And thank you both for for bringing that up. Is that yeah. if you want the resentment to be different than it is, then you're going to suffer. So when you're when you're in the resentment recognize that you are in resentment and return your mindfulness back to the sensation of breathing your body, not to get rid of the resentment. Or to judge yourself for being resentful. Just to yeah. be with what's occurring yeah. without needing it to be different. Right, that, that's helpful too. Yeah. The goal of the Buddha was to understand. understand. Yeah. Resolve yourself and understand. Right, now I'm, now I'm grasping for the idea of understanding.
resolves itself. Wait, it resolves it resolves itself. It resolves itself in the context of digital path. So every situation, even though you can say horse family is personal, but it's not. It's simply clinging to the private factory. The original question was, what do we have in common with these monks? And what do we have in common with this livelihood? One of my jobs is I'm a parent, and I can't but the six property person is either a lack of understanding or understanding. So when I'm at work, everything filters through the And that that's where that restraint is wise restraint. It's not this like catch yourself restraint. It's built within the whole path. So it, it, I never have to grasp after that. Yeah. Same thing with Can you color that a little bit, Dave? Like, what's that? What's what's the contrast between now and before? Well, before it would be a reaction. It would be an impulse to fix it. What do you say, something? Fix it, solve it, change it, get rid of it. And I don't yeah. do that anymore. I I sit across a desk and I see a person that is uninstructed. I take the responsibility to not feed into that. And I take my limited understanding and go into that conversation with calm. And that allows me to be restrained at the success space. And I, I find that this is a totally practical practice work at home with my children and it doesn't always resolve itself peace in my family but I don't contribute to anyone's pain thank you thank you Okay, friends. Thank you for all for a wonderful class. Thank you, Matt. We'll finish as we always do with Meta. These are the Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later approve. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings they may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. 
Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.